have faith in God is not a stagnant state. It's a journey. As a believer, we should grow in our knowledge of God and His Word. Walk with Alan Cutting and many other believers as together we walk the believer's journey. Well, aloha and welcome to the believer's journey. It's good to have you back and it's good to be back. Today we're going to talk about... um, topic is going to be on trials, suffering, and blessings. It's probably one of the hardest topics I have ever tried to tackle, accomplish, or so forth, because it really hits a nerve in most everybody. We always have trouble. We always have uh, things in our life that are difficult, and we almost just don't know what to do with them, and we don't have a lot of good answers out there. Anyway, with me, I have a good friend, Scott Keppel. I'm going to introduce you. Hi. <laughs> Scott is, uh, and just to introduce you, he is a, a successful businessman. He's the founder and president of uh, Keppel Consulting. Before that, uh, he was a senior vice president for USAA. He was vice president in marketing strategies and sales automation for WellPoint. Uh, he managed and delivered six Sigma programs of, at AEG and also General Electric. He served in the U.S. Army as a health physicist, assisting the U.S. Army general surgeon with development of nuclear policies. And um, he's married, has a wonderful wife, Vivian, and five beautiful children. Thank you, Alan. Hi. Hi. <laughs> Tell us thank about you for, Thank you for inviting me. I mean, I, the believer's journey and trials and suffering go hand in hand. And, uh, I mean... All that you read to me is really that's all God. And I know I'm going to get choked up throughout this. Sometime I'm going to cry probably. But um, the journey that God puts any one of us on will come with trials. Um, there's a promise in the book on that, that this, there'll be tribulations that we'll face and trials. But my journey, um, I hope, can reach some people with some messages that of encouragement or hope that they can turn to the Lord and find strength through their journey. Their journey. You know, I, I, uh, it's interesting, after teaching, I don't know, thousands of people in my life and having questions that come to me about hurt and suffering and pain, um, it, it really is not easy. When I was a child, I'll tell you a little bit about myself. When I was eight years old, I was, uh, I was a very active kid, and we were playing baseball in some park of family uh, outing, and I happened to run into the um, area of the third base area where there's a whole pile of baseball bits because I forgot mine. <laughs> so as I ran to get mine, I didn't see there was a grown man. I was eight. He was a grown man swinging a bat, and I got hit in the head. And um, it was pretty severe. I mean, I had to go to the hospital. It was um, across my, my whole face turned black and blue. I was in the hospital for a while there. Um, I say, I think if I remember right, about a week. And that was about it. But when I was 17 years old, at the prime of teenagehood, right, you know, you're all in the sports, you're all in everything that is, that is um, active and wonderful, all of a sudden I got struck down with massive seizures. Mm-hmm. We didn't know where they came from. I had no clue. Um, I think a couple years later, a doctor figured it out. It came from when I was hit when I was eight years old. It was all in the same area. But my problem at the time was I'd ask questions. I went to my own pastor, uh, Lon, 
um, and asked, well, why did God do this? Well, God really didn't do this. I said, well, I need answers. Why, why did this happen? And he says, well, he allowed it in his permissive will. I mean, a lot of stuff that just didn't make sense to me as a 17, 8-year-old kid. I mean, I was angry. Mm-hmm. I became very angry. I became angry toward God. And um, what happened was I, get, I decided to not go to college. I was called to the ministry, but I decided not to go. And I was visiting my mother. I was 18, visiting my mother. And I got a phone call there. I hadn't lived there in two years. I got a phone call there from Point Loma University. And they basically told me that uh, they had a grant there for me to attend if I wanted to come. Well, you know, I thought, okay, well, I'll call you back if I want to come. And I just let it go. My mother, who was not a believer, said, oh, you should go, you should go. I'll help you, et cetera, et cetera. I go to work, and my boss, I mentioned it to my boss, and he said to me, you should go to college. Your job will always be here. And these people pushing it. Well, I go home, and I mentioned to Lon, you know, oh, I got a call from Point Loma, and uh, they said they had this grant for me to go to school there and so forth. And he said, oh, that's cool, and kind of just walked away. I thought that was really strange. In fact, I thought it was strange most all my life. And about four or five years ago, I asked him about it, if he had anything to do with it. And he kind of says, well, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) But I attended the school, and I was an angry kid because of this. And he just happened to have revival at, at the university. A guy named Timothy Smith was the speaker. And it was, the God's conviction over my life was, was at the height of unbelievability because here I am at a Christian school having to study for the ministry, but I am so angry that I don't know what's going on. Why did God let, have this happen to me? And um, so I decided to go talk to the, a chaplain, and his name was Reuben Welch. And for those of you who know Reuben Welch or has read any of his books, um, you know he's an amazing, amazing man. And back there in the 70s, before we started thinking about Christianity as a relationship, he was teaching it. Mm-hmm. And if you have never heard about him, I have a book on my website, uh, the blur, thebelieversjourney.net. If you click on it, you go to um, Amazon. And there's a lot of his books there, and you could uh, order them and, and see. He is just amazing. Well, anyway, I asked him about why God would do this, and I, I explained my situation. He literally took off his glasses. He set him down and began to cry. I'm going to cry. And he said, I don't know, but my daughter is mentally retarded, and she lives in a convalescent home. You know, I I just couldn't get out of my mind. Why am I so angry and upset? Who am I and what has happened to me in comparison? And he taught me something. He said, you know, we need to stop asking God why. He said he learned this. And we need to ask him, how do you want me to take what I have, what has been given to me, and use it to glorify and honor you? Exactly. Totally turned my life around. Yeah. Recently, we, we were still we're in the book of Job and studying. And if you take a step back and look at the life of Job, he's walked with the Lord. He's counted as righteous, and he has a good life, good family, good you know cattle on the hills. He's got everything. And then the, Satan comes along, and for God's glory, 
Job went through his sufferings, and at the end of it, Job was closer to God. He was. He said at the beginning, you know, I thought I knew you, now I see you. And seeing him, meaning closer with him and walking with him. So I think the trials we face, I mean, I always use Job as my, you said that, that you heard that pastor's story, and you said, who am I compared to that? I think we all have some challenges and trials in our life, and as we look at them, if we can put them in context, it says there's not always a cause and effect. It's not always that God did something for something else. He created us for relationship, for walking with him. And when we walk with him, he wants us to know that we are going to have trials, and when we have those trials, he'll be there on the other side of them always. And it's always for his glory. I mean, I use the comment, the passage around my daughter, part of my story. Um, she was born with cancer. Uh, we found out when she was three months old, um, and she's now 19, and she's still fighting cancer to this day. So her body has taken more chemotherapy than I put up against anybody out there. Um, she's had m- m- multiple surgeries. She's had radiation where they take a, like a hockey mask, melt it to your face, and strap you down with bolts to a table so your head can't move, and radiation is used to kill the tumors because um, she has brain tumors. But it still grew through that. So the trials for why does she have this, why do we face that, it, uh, I always go back to Job, you know, and I always say, and, and there's another passage also about when Jesus was, when they were questioning, the Sadducees and Pharisees were questioning a family. A child was born blind or was blind. And when Jesus healed him, and then he kept saying, I don't know, but this man Jesus, I came to him, he healed me, and I can see. Well, no, what sin did their parents do? Why were you born blind? And it was born blind for the glory of God, so that Jesus can heal him in that moment in the glory of God. So all of Scripture points to that we're going to have trials. Some of them are, are more in relationship to each one of us. They're personal, and they're the same magnitude as Job. I believe that in our hearts we find our peace with the Lord um, through the trials, and we walk through them with him, and, and he'll see us on the other side of them. But um, those trials cause you to um, have great strength and, and walk with the Lord and get to know him better and see him through them. And that's, that's one of the reasons why... I think God gives us trials. Now, to talk about your story a little bit, uh, your daughter, you're talking about her, she's Gracie. Yes. Um, and, um, and and she's got a dear place in my heart. She, she's so cool. She, um, she comes to my desk one time, and she figures it needs to be um, decorated, so she bought a little fish for me. <laughs> Sits on my desk. And I have it, I have it today, and we've had it for years. That's good if you can keep the fish alive that long. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So, but Grace has an amazing story in in and of her own right. I remember, uh, and and I attend a a, a pretty large church. It's uh, got about 25,000 that uh, are members and about 14 or 15,000 that attend. Mm -hmm. And we had uh, several services through the weekend, and there was a time when Gracie actually got up on the stage and talked to the entire congregation. And there's something she said in that I remember. She said, you know, I have the best of both worlds. 
if I am alive and I stay alive, I have my mom and my dad and my brothers and sisters and my friends, and I love them and they love me, and that is great. If I die, I am with Jesus. Mm-hmm. And I remember that so clearly because how often do we go through something menial in comparison right. and think the world's going to end? That's true. I mean, and in Gracie's testimony, her walk, she's not afraid to tell people about her walk. And, and like you said, she gets up. I remember her in the back of a church. There was a, a woman when she was giving her testimony, and a woman stood up and said, Young lady, what do you do when you're depressed? And she looked at her with puzzlement and said, um, What do you mean depressed? I'm not depressed. She walks with this as her, her burden to carry. But um, it's hard on the family. I mean, it really is. And many of us, you know, there's been many a trips to the doctors, seizures. Like we've had days where she was seizing every minute um, for almost five days straight and trying to figure that out. So, I mean, there's multiple, multiple trials in there. But I believe God knows, the, knows our hearts. And, he, you know, and also in Scripture it says God never gives you more than you can't bear. I know we challenge him on that and say, really? Um, but he never gives you more than you can bear. But he'll also prepare you for it. I mean, I didn't, my, my story, my witness is that I was a really bad kid. Um, I grew up, um, grew up in my, you know, people knew I was saved. I had a road to Damascus type experience because when I was in high school, I couldn't, I couldn't read very well. And so when most people were doing term papers, I got to do a three-dimensional art project for my English class. That's how low of a track English class I was in. When I was 16, went to the DMV for my driver's license. I couldn't spell my middle name, so to this day I'm stuck because DMV won't let you change it. With Scott Joe Keppel because I couldn't spell Joseph. So I'm not a, I don't read books. The only book I read today, even to this day, is the Bible. And when I was on that road to Damascus, I was a heavy drinker, an angry man. I was in the military. Um, my wife was a saint for staying with me. We had no kids, but the Lord started to work on me and wrestle with me. He took away my anger that year by having a dog bite my finger, and that took away my, my anger. And then he literally took away my pride because I was also starting a business back then, and I thought I had a $5 million contract lined up, and he showed me that it wasn't in my control. And when he took that away, I went out on a heavy binge drinking and he met me, and, and literally we had a conversation about turning my life over to him and trusting him, not alcohol, not myself. And I believe he did that for preparing me for my children. Strong enough that he gave me the confidence to take all my career was just following his whisper saying, Gracie needs to be in San Antonio. She was born in, in Pennsylvania, in, up in Allentown. We lived in Philly area and children's hospital in philly was what we thought was the best thing for her and so we were up there and when a company down here called usa kept calling me i kept saying no because we thought our whole church was up there our family was up there the best doctors were up in the northeast and then the neurosurgeon sat us down one day as he was we were talking about what's going on and he was military i was military he says yeah usa is a good company he says but actually one of the best doctors for your daughter is in san antonio he says, I'm going down to meet with him and have a bottle of wine with him and his wife at dinner, so I'll take Gracie's file and talk to him. So we were pointed to San Antonio because of my daughter for the doctor. Um, we have the, some of the best doctors here, and really I think 
that's you're listening to God's voice and preparing to walk with God was for my daughter and for my kids more than for me. Um, because I'm a sinner saved by grace alone, not by works, so no man can boast. Um, but if he can use me for my children, then that's why he saved me, I believe. So, um, It's interesting because in, in all of my, uh, recently, in all of my teachings when we get into the end times, and this is not a, this is not a uh, lesson on the end times, but there are a lot of people, Christians, who believe that um, God, because he loves us, keeps us out and away from troubles, keeps us away from pain, suffering. In fact, one of the key belief systems of the rapture is that people believe that God wouldn't have us go through any trials or tribulations or sufferings. That's why we have, they believe the, trap, the rapture is before the tribulation. Um, however, like you said, the scripture is real clear that we're going to experience pain and suffering. Mm-hmm. All through scripture, it teaches that. Jesus has some things that's really neat, and, and the Bible has some things that are really cool. In, in John chapter 14, verse 27, Jesus says this, Peace I, le- I ge- leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Mm-hmm. Okay, so what he's saying is he's going to be with us. And what he says something in the next, ch- in chapter 16, I think, even is what solidifies the whole conversation here. He's actually at the time in the upper room talking to the disciples just before he is arrested be crucified. This is what's going on here. And in chapter 16, verse 33, he says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Yes. And they all face trials after Jesus. Oh, absolutely. Oh, my goodness. They face trials in the world. But for the ministry of of Jesus Christ and being a disciple and walking with him, they were going to face those trials. But his peace, I remember the first time when we took Gracie into a hospital as a baby, um, she was tied up because it was her eye that was bulging forward. The tumors in the brain were pushing the eye forward, and it bulged forward. Well, there's a hospital in Philadelphia called Will's Eye Hospital, one of the best hospitals for eyes. And we took her in there. They literally rushed her in, strapped her in a papoose-type thing like this with her arms tight, took a Q-tip, and to this day it still hurts my wife and I to, to even talk about it, a Q-tip next to her eyeball, in her eyeball, pushed her eyeball aside so they could see behind her eyeball. And Gracie had such a scream, like it was so, like a silent scream, just you see the pain in her face at three months old. But yet the Lord gave my wife and I a peace. We lived in that hospital for three days while we were trying to figure out what's going on with her. And the peace came over us that, you know, we had people praying for us, we had people helping us out with, you know, meals and everything like normal but the peace of God rests with you. And it's not, you know, you're going to figure this trial out. You're going to get an answer for it. It's his peace rests with you. And throughout our career, throughout our journey, my wife and I, as we walked together, like, for example, took a job in Indiana thinking her tumor and cancer was stable because we just proved out a research protocol here in San Antonio, which is holding her tumor stable, but she's still on chemo every day, but it's not growing. But it's taking a toll on other parts of her body, but she's still alive. And we're in Indiana, 
and at a um, my job was nothing at it's all about the walk with the Lord. He wanted us in Indiana. We were there for a reason. Another top, another story, another topic, another day. But when the Lord whispered in my ear because the doctors wanted to go back to the standard of care, not the research protocol up in Indiana, and we said, we got to get back to Texas. I had to take my fifth-born child who was born in Indiana, just, you know, newly born, fifth-born child, my second oldest, which is Gracie, who has cancer, and I had to decide to leave corporate and just step out of my own in faith and say, Lord, I need a job. Um, and I left to come back down here to bring her down here for her doctors, and the Lord had laid up different people in our path that there was a gentleman that prayed with me and it coached me through. It says, just constantly ask the Lord for a client on the other side of the desk and go out and consult. I had two gentlemen here in San Antonio who were trying to get me to start up a business with them. So I took a leap of faith and stepped out in faith 11 years ago. And that's why I say it's not me. God's orchestrated my path for whatever reason. And it's not for me. As long as I keep that focus that I'm here serving others and my family, um, then he'll, he'll set straight my path and give me the peace that passes all understanding. And it's not of this world. Because there's no peace in this world, um, right? So yeah, because Jesus says basically, um, you, you have the peace. And he says, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart; I've overcome the world. The peace that we are looking for is the peace that Jesus gives, not necessarily the peace that the world gives. Correct. And they're totally two different um, entities, if that's if for a bit, lack of a better term. But I really believe what we find in the Christian world, if that's a good way to put this, is that a lot of people or a lot of Christians or a lot of people that go to church are looking for peace as something that makes you feel good. Yeah, that's that's the world's promise. Exactly. And that's not the, the promise of God is that in this world you'll have many trials and trouble. But, you know, through that you get perseverance and faith and that's where you can walk with the Lord and have the peace with the Lord. It's a hard thing to explain because it's sort of like you can't say I did A, B, C, and D and I had I had peace. It's in the midst of the trial you'll have peace if you're with if the Lord if you're trusting the Lord. One of my favorite verses is trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways acknowledge him and he'll set straight your paths. That is so deep on each word in that. Like you know, trusting in the Lord, start right there. Do you really trust the Lord? Or you, and, and now here's where some people might call me the zealot, and you know me a little bit, right? <laughs> so if you trust in the Lord and you read scriptures, and it says in scriptures and Proverbs, do not put your hand in pledge to a, a, somebody you don't know, and don't put up securities for their debt. Well, I'm the kind of extreme guy that says, Lord, what are you telling me? And he says, don't be in the market, right? Extreme view of that, or probably the what I think God is saying, because there's multiple verses in there. It's like says, hey, don't also put up a pledge for somebody you don't know. Don't put up a pledge up for somebody who's in debt. But yet we put all of our our trust in our retirement or our 401k, so that we have a future of peace here in this world. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm the guy that says, if the Lord wants you to have something, when the Israelites left Egypt, they turned over their gold and silver to them. They were slaves with nothing, and they were told to make bricks without straw. And then the next, you know, in a couple of weeks, they're leaving Israel, they're leaving Egypt with 
the, the Egyptians handing over their gold and silver to them. When the disciples were like, where are we going to get our tax money? We've been following you, discipling, and we need to pay taxes. Where are we going to get it? Fish comes Open up the mouth of the fish, and there's enough money to pay all their, their tax for the year. Yeah. I mean, when God wants you to, and I'm not saying he's a slot machine that says, I'm not teaching prosperity theory, but when you trust God, it's like I go back to old-time farmers who used to trust God for the crop to come through because without God, the crops aren't going to come through, right? He has to provide the, the environment, the, the rain. We have to work hard. We have to do our part, but we don't put enough trust in God. And I think, like the story with uh, the taxes and the fish, which is interesting, is Jesus, you know, he, he, um, when they ask him about giving taxes, you know, to Caesar, he says, well, give to Caesar, Caesar, which is Caesar's. But he goes on, but give unto God, which is his. Which is our whole everything. Exactly. And um, I, I believe that as Jesus healed people and Jesus did things for people, something he said a lot, go and sin no more. Yeah. Or he, he he talked a lot about you know honoring God, honoring you know Him, and and doing that which which is uh, right or righteous in the walk we are supposed to have. And I believe, uh, well, here's something that Jesus says in John 15. He says, "You are my friends if you do what I command you." Mm-hmm. So a lot of it has to do with obedience. I mean, we talked about obedience before, but you know, I truly believe this. I believe that blessing comes a lot out of our obedience. Mm-hmm. You know, we may have trials, and in James, I think he says, you know, you should fa- find it good that you have trials, you know, because um, it, it teaches us. But even more than that, blessing comes out of that obedience. And I'm not talking about blessing with money. I'm no. talking about blessing is all around with the different things. Oh. Most of us would find if we would just be able to have a moment of peace with the Lord, that's a blessing. It is. Right? And, you know, there's many ways to count your blessings. Um, But there's definitely the obedience part of, I almost feel like when you're walking with the Lord, you know what he wants you to do. And this is where, you know, Paul, I I love him as a brother, and and he's pretty much said, you know, I got a thorn in my side, right? So the the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. So all of us know that we're sinners saved by grace. But the walk that we have to do is one of knowing that um, we have a, a great loving father in heaven. And just like any other father, he wants to bless his children. But he's not going to bless you for sinning. He's not going to, you know, he's not going to say, let me bless you, my son, because you just went out and did all these sinful things, right? That's not the way the Father in heaven would like to bless you. So obedience is, you know, take the relationship of God the Father to us as his adopted children and his family that he wants us to be known that he'll bless us. Uh, And those blessings are where you find peace. I had a real hard time. Actually, when I was a teenager... Or let's even go younger than that. When I was nine years old. We're talking way back with Moses. Yeah, basically, except for I don't have the beard to show it. (laughs) But back when I was nine, my my father left, and and there was just my mother and us five children, and I was the oldest. And um, at 10 years old, I think it was, I was in fourth grade, and I acted out. I actually failed citizenship. 
because I was out there putting tacks on the teacher's da- you know, chair. And I not- can see that. <laughs> I was pulling chairs out from people when we did the Pledge of Allegiance. They'd fall on the floor. I was doing all these bad things. And I was acting out because of the disruption in my home. Mm-hmm. Well, I got a paper route, and I started working, and, and it took a lot of my time. I became a teenager, and, and some of the, my brothers moved off with my father. And I had a remarkable, wonderful teenage life. I played. I had fun. My mom was never around. So I came home at midnight. She was not there. I mean, you know, we just did all kinds of mischievous things, things that you wouldn't really want your children to do. Right. So, but for me, it was fun. And so I had a great deal here. But when I was about, when I became a Christian at 16, um, I'm having to now mature. I'm 18 or 19, 18, I'm going to college. And about 19, 20 years old, I'm having to learn how to grow up, mature. And it was the hardest thing for me. So for the next 10 years, it was one of the hardest things I did because of my life of having such a disruptive life. I suffered because of that through my 20s. Probably until I was 30, 31 years old. And it wasn't until I was about 30 or 31 that I actually went to my mom and I apologized for not being a son. And I basically, you know, I walked away. I, I didn't visit her, didn't call her, didn't do anything with her, for her, or whatever. And um, I realized I was dishonoring God. I was being disobedient. I had lots of problems with other relationships that I didn't know, understand why. But it was because I did not have a maturity growing up and when I hit my 20s you know I'm dealing with the other things like the seizure disorder with the medications that I'm taking and you know I'm, I'm drugged out of my mind um, I'm going to college having to try to make grades I'm actually a youth pastor and and so all these things were happening and going on and finally it dawns on me that I need to honor Jesus I need to be obedient to Jesus, and I need to really change my life. When I was 15, I, my, I cut my arm. Now, my arm, cutting my arm is my own fault. I was in a go-kart. When I was not supposed to be driving the go-kart at 15, my dad told me. And I'm messing with the, you know, the gas yep. screws, okay? And my shirt is totally undone. I'm back here, and I, I come back around and get the wheel, and my shirt got caught in a sprocket and pulled my arm and just ripped up and cut up my arm really badly. And um, I was actually supposed to be a quarterback in high school. That never happened. And all kinds of things. But that was my own fault. I, I don't, that was my doing. And it caused a lot of change in my life. And I actually did a lot of change for the better in my life. I, I never really thought about that. It was not like the, the other problem where I got hit in the head. It wasn't even my fault. I didn't know why I deserved such a thing. So I struggled with these things as I was young. And as I would ask pastors and, and people questions, why this? And I'm trying to get to understand because I'm not a churchgoer. I, I, I didn't grow up this way. I didn't know. And so when I'm learning this stuff and I'm going through a lot of trials, trials emotionally, trials mentally, physically trials, not just because of of the things that are happening, but because of the um, the medicines that I had to take and all the other things there, or you couldn't get jobs or other things I had problems with. Um, I struggled. I struggled in college in um, speech. 
I was slurring my words because <laughs> of the medication. I was on so much phenobarbital, you know, it was, it was terrible. But, you know, I learned something through all of that, that within obedience, when I started to turn to Jesus and say, you know what, I want to honor you. I want to live for you. I want to obey you. Because it says, if you love me, you'll obey me. Mm-hmm. I learned that Jesus put the idea of love and measured it with obedience. Mm-hmm. And I learned a whole new thing there. I have to tell you, Scott, you, I admire you and look up to you more than you'll ever know. I really, really do. It's not me you're looking at. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's our willingness to like say, God, I surrender to you. And your willingness to say, God, I surrender has taught me a lot. Uh, I listen to you when you speak. Of course, you're highly successful in, in the things that you do. Um, and uh, I see the struggles. I see the, the pain. I know your family. I know your family history. And I say to you, I look up to you. I honor Thank you. you. you are it's really, God, not me. But your willingness to, to surrender well, to him is amazing. And, you know, they say, and I'm not saying the word fear. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the, you know, in the awe sense of it. You listen for the Holy Spirit and you listen for what he wants you to do. If you align that with scripture, I mean, we both know a wise man, Dean Rush, who um, he counseled me. And there was some things that people say that in your life you take that wisdom, you take that the counsel from God, God speaks to us through his word, through his spirit, and through the body of Christ that's filled with his spirit. And you take those those words and you, you have to be obedient and listen to them. Um, and But at one time he said, you know, I've read the scriptures and it was about when I first started and I came back to San Antonio to start the business. And I said to Dean, I was like, well, what do you think these scriptures mean? And it was about the partnerships. And he says, uh, and he says, what do you think they mean? And I says, well, leave like 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 a Giselle, run. And he's like, then you should run. <laughs> it's like, you know, and, you know, when you get a when you get a nudge from the Holy Spirit, when you get a word from the Holy Spirit, you need to take action and be obedient. And when we think about it and we try and apply man's wisdom to it, is when we get caught up. And I believe the Lord is sitting there watching us and saying, I gave you the answer. You know, that's, you know, the, the way I can only say that I've been able to survive, literally this is going to sound weird, but when I was walking the halls of a corporation here in San Antonio at USAA and I felt the nudge to pray and get on my knees and pray, I'm looking I'm like I'm in the middle of a hallway. You want me to drop to my knees and pray? And I would. And I still feel a little convicted. I'm like, somebody's going to see me, somebody's what's going on. But I would get to my knees and pray. Sometimes I hit, hurry up, Lord, da, 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 so that nobody sees me. But I'm still I'm being obedient because the Lord's nudged me to pray for somebody or pray and on my knees and do it. And and I feel like that level of obedience even is something that I don't think, you know, we walk this world with our own wisdom. And we don't walk this world listening to the Holy Spirit enough to say, He's counseling us for for good. He wants us to be obedient. He's leading us to a way to follow Jesus um, so that we can have that peace with him. You know, actually adding to the topic, because you've said this now quite a bit, is uh, the leading of the Holy Spirit. Um, I know that in the many churches and the many denominations that I have attended, 
And throughout the traditional teachings that I hear, we don't hear a lot about how to follow the Holy Spirit and what we're listening for. Mm. Do you find that to be true in the areas you go to? Yes, I believe. uh, I think, you know, where I'm going now, the pastor said something last week actually on this. that said, you know, most people, when you think of the Holy Spirit, they think, oh, are they those, you know, evangel? they're the holy rollers. And it's like... Uh, somebody once told me the Holy Spirit is a gentleman, right? He's going to behave like a gentleman, and he's not going to tell us to do something that is not gentleman-like or or, perfect, or in the way that Jesus or God wants us to walk. So he's going to counsel us. Um, but I think that if most people realize that you have a counselor given to you, you have the strength of the Holy Spirit provided to you, he gifts us with gifts, of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Without the Holy Spirit, those things are absent, right? So those gifts are what you should seek from the Holy Spirit. Those counsel about what does God mean in the Word about this, we should seek it from Him first. Mm -hmm. You know, always opening up the Word and asking the Holy Spirit to bring the Word to life. I have many people tell me that I, I witness almost every week when I'm on the road, consulting and I try and bump in the Lord bumps people into me and and it's just about testifying or giving your witness but like they say well these Bibles don't add up because these words say this and these words say that and I say well are, are you reading it with your glasses well I don't wear glasses are you asking the Holy Spirit to translate the words on the page into the word of God in your heart because I don't care which which um, one it's written in if the Holy Spirit is taking the message of God in the same way that the Holy Spirit spoke to man and man wrote the words to begin with, that God's word was breathed into man and man wrote them down on paper, the same way God's Holy Spirit takes those words off the page and brings them into your heart as yeah. the word of God. Yeah. And that's where I think um, if you know the Holy Spirit and you're walking with, the, with, walking with God, big God, and then you know that you're walking with Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and the Father is watching us and say, how are you doing, son? Um, the relationship of the three doesn't become as mysterious anymore. Yeah. It's interesting. In the, um, in the Bible, we find uh, many characters who had suffering, had trials, had problems. And yet, uh, because of and through their trials and suffering, God blesses them. Uh, one, for example, would be Joseph. Joseph, um, I mean, he, he's a young boy, and uh, I guess his father dotes all over him and so forth. Got a nice coat. Yeah, got him a nice coat. And he has these dreams, and he shares these dreams. Now, I really believe that Joseph was this kid that was all excited about the things that God d- did. And he shared those things, which made his brothers extremely jealous and upset and sold him off into slavery. And when he got to Egypt, the remarkable thing was is that when he was the slave of Potiphar, Potiphar saw that the Lord was in him. It says that right in Scripture. And because of that, saw that Joseph was also wise and honorable and so he put him in charge of all of his doings. Yep. And I think that even though he was sold into slavery here, God blesses him through this period of time. Well, Joseph even said to his brothers when they came over 
and they for dinner and he was they broke down he says what you meant for harm or evil god meant for good yeah and that's what we have to keep an eye on god has plans for all of us plans for good not for harm god doesn't do anything for a purpose of harming us he wants us to work through the trials so that we can see the good and what why we're there yeah many people have trials that um, are faced with ki- children's health and if I can help them in any way to understand that trial like we had a Matthew as you know was also my my second son fourth child was born with a heart condition which kept him in the NICU um, for a couple for a while and then had to wear a heart pack like we call them tank for a while he's still tank to me we call him tank he doesn't like when i call him that but um he used to drag that pack around like you know it was nothing he used to wear that like it was nothing but um but the lord gave us peace because we again trust him and we knew that he was in charge and he lets the trials as we're obedient to him and walking with him he'll be with us through those trials for whatever reason that happened it happened Right, um, Matthew was also slow to speak, and we were all like, "Well, when's he going to talk?" And you know, we just waited. You can't. The boy talks to himself now. I mean, he's like outside doing plays and making plays, and he's like acting them out and speaking all the time. You know, the Lord's got plans for each one of us, and the trials we go through um, are there for good. I believe, not for harm. And that I believe everybody, if they look for the good in it, they'll find it. If they look for the Lord in it, they'll find him. Right. And I think that a lot of times we sit there and wallow in our self-pity and wallow in our problems without looking beyond, you know. And I think that one thing I learned from Reuben Welch was that when, and he has this in one of his books, um, I don't remember which one, but basically it says when we sit there and ask God why this, why this, why me, why so forth, what we're almost actually doing is giving God credit for being the author of good and for being the author of evil. Yeah. And we need to get away from this, why this, why did God do this, why me, why so forth, and that's why I think he taught me to ask God, how do you want to use me so that I can honor you? Mm -hmm. Totally different perspective. It's the what. It's like, not the why, but um, what do you want me to learn from this? Exactly. And if if we're being sanctified in Christ, if we're constantly being regenerated, our, our souls are being, you know, the Holy Spirit's working on us always, right? Yeah. And the washing and regeneration of our soul, even, it's a, that's, think of it that way, that there's a reason for everything. And what is it, what is the what we need to learn? Well, just back going back to Joseph. I mean, here we are with Joseph, and now he's in jail 13 long years, Oh, my word. I mean, it's just like, how long, you know, do you finally say, God, I'm tired of this? But, you know, he, he endured it, and he was also noted to be very uh, worthy in, in, in while he was in jail, and, mm-hmm. and he was used by the warden and so forth, until finally, you know, he was acknowledged to Pharaoh and became the number two guy. Yep. And God used him in a, an amazing way to save Israel. There's many, many different examples of how God uses the trials in our life. Um, I'm not to say that there's also, I mean, I know that we started off with, I talked about Job with cause and effect, you know, the four friends, the three older one and the one younger, 
that gave him counsel were always trying to say, well, what did you do type of thing. Yeah. But there is cause and effect, too. I mean, you can do dumb things in this world and have some effects that come with it. Yeah, your arm. <laughs> so I'm not saying that some trials aren't caused by our dumb mistakes, but we still should learn through them. And the right. Lord will use those to learn through them, even if, if it wasn't a cause that we caused. Right. Right. You know, and, and I know as uh, as a husband, I know that I will say stupid things to my wife that gets me in a lot it's, of trouble. It's in the job description for husband. <laughs> I think we all say that. Yeah, there is something. That's, a, that's another show. It can take five hours. <laughs> yeah, there's somewhere we have brain damage as husbands. <laughs> but, you know, it's, um, you know, I think of others like David. I mean, David. You know, and these men in the Bible, it says that they were filled with the Spirit. These two men. So here we have David, who's running and hiding from the very king he honors. Yes, he doesn't even kill him when he has the uh, the capability to do he, so because he was anointed by God. Because God felt it, Saul was anointed. Now here's Samuel. I mean, I believe Samuel had problems. Well, his problem was Saul. <laughs> he did not like Saul. Saul was doing everything he could to sin and do wrong for himself. He was all about him. And Samuel was like probably beating his head against the wall. Like, oh, my word, I can't deal with this king. You know. But in one way or the other, we all deal with something. You know, you look through the, in the book of Ruth. That's an amazing story about suffering and pain and God's blessing and victory through it all. Well, I think, you know, looking at Saul as an example, when you just talked about that, what went through my head was the Israelites were looking for a king like the others. I want a king. I want to be able to have somebody to help me, help me through my trials, right? We're under attack or we need somebody who's a king. And they did, They failed. Yeah. They failed to recognize they had a God. Yeah. They had an almighty God who provided everything for them, who did everything for them. And then they said, but, 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 but we need something here on earth. And, and I really believe that, you know, the more we look to, and this is not a knock on politics, but governments or, you know, or social programs and say, that'll help me get out of this or this will help me get out of that. We're not turning to God, the Almighty, who provides everything hand by hand, his hand to us. You know, I think you're really right. It's interesting in, in today's turmoil that we have in our country, um, there was somebody that, that wrote on a post that, you know, um, in, in the differences between capitalism and, and socialism, they said there's really not, you know, a, a perfect capitalistic world. And I'm thinking, well, there's not really a perfect any kind of Government. There's only one sovereign Lord. There's only one sovereign Lord. And when God told his people, you know, that I am your king, that really is the perfect. And nobody that I know on earth has that any longer. And that really is the key. And I think when once you deviate from that, well, now you have opposing views, opposing sides, people that argue, people that fight, all this situation, and within ourselves. I believe if the people of God were on their knees recognizing the Lord together and asking the Lord in unified voice through one spirit for something, the Lord moves in a mighty way. Yeah. And, and we're so divided today that everybody is looking at their, either their physical church, like I, you know, it goes back to, I follow Paul or I follow, no, 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 we follow Jesus. Right. And, and we follow Jesus through the counsel of the spirit and the direction of his written word. 
So if we are truly believers and disciples of Christ, we turn it all over to him and follow him. Um, yeah. And that's where I think, that's what the only thing that gives me peace. I mean, I'm not that smart of a guy. Everybody says it and all that. i got a lot of clients who say you're pretty smart, and I'm like, it's not me, it's him. He uses me. I turn myself over, and I'm like, you know, whatever I can do for you today, I wake up every morning and say, what can I do for you today? And just like the Israelites failed, I ask God to go before me into the day and prepare my path. If I fail to do that, I realize I'm heading out into the world on my own. So I ask God, like the Israelites did before, when they send the Ark of the Covenant in front of you into war, I'm like, Lord, this is not a, this is not my home. I need you to go before me, prepare the path, because I'll have trials and I don't. I want to win for you. I don't want to. I don't want to be in the trial without you. Yeah, you know when I was uh, an associate pastor, and there's a lot of us associate pastors that, and even pastors that don't make a lot of money. And I didn't make a lot of money when I was an associate pastor, and. Uh, there was a time or two when we just weren't sure where our next um, meal was going to come or our, where we were going to pay our heating bill. We just you know, had to go by faith. Well, Lord, you, you're going to provide. And the first, time, the, first, the first time when I had a, an envelope, it was in a, we had mailboxes back then. You go yeah. to your mailbox and there's an envelope with nothing written on it. You open it up and there's two or $300 bills in there. Oh, what, my Lord. You know, you don't even know where it's coming from, but you know that God has put it on somebody's heart to help you. And God's way God has blessed me and helped me through that. And I think that he does that still. And we need to understand, uh, just like when you mentioned, you know, the the Israelites when they left Egypt, yep. God provided for them. He put it on the hearts of the Egyptians. the Egyptians. And I think that that's what we need to look at is God will put it on the hearts of somebody. If you're obedient and you're obeying him and you're honoring him, God will provide for you. God will take care of you. But look at what we'll do, though. We'll, and this is another, and I'm not, now you're getting me on my soapbox. Don't do that. Because um, <laughs> what I'll come back with is say that the church, the physical church, not the church of one church in the body of Christ, but the church often turns to, it says, I'm going to have to go get debt to help me, you know. And it's like, no, if God wants you to have it, well, well, I have to go get debt in order to do this. No, I, I truly believe if God wants you to have a ministry, it'll fall in, he'll fall into place and he'll bring the resources. But the more we think in ministry that we need debt to reach more people, yeah, I think we're taking it on ourselves versus letting the Lord take it on and say, Lord, where am I going to get the resources? Like, it's okay to ask. It's okay to say, where are we going to get the tax money? It's in that fish. You know, it's okay to say that, but it's not okay, I think, to say, i got to go find my own means. I think what it is is it's the idea of what we, what we think or believe is what faith is or what trust is. I, I teach uh, there's a very big difference between uh, to trust God and to entrust your life in his hands. And I give this example. For example, I may have, uh, you'll be, be sitting here, and if you want to borrow my car, and, and I'll hand you my keys, and I'll trust that you will not crash my car. That's not a good bet. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> so anyway, um, so that's, I'm trusting that. But in the terms of, of relationship, like with Jesus, now if I were to give, in, in, in a parallel, if I were to give you my key and say, you can drive my car, but I want to sit shotgun with you, now I'm entrusting my life into your hands. Yeah. And what happens in, in Christendom, if you will, 
You know, we want to say we trust you, God. We trust you, Jesus. But we don't sit there and say, I'll sit with you while you do it. We don't get in and trust Actually, our lives. I want to be the, I want God to be the driver. And I want to be in the back taking a nap with my eyes closed, resting, knowing that I have my Savior holding me and taking me where he wants to. It's to entrust your life in his hands. Yeah. And I think that that is such a missing key factor in, in our traditional teaching. Yeah. It really is. I want to read something because, you know, we talk about suffering. We talk about trials and pain. And, and I want to read something. It's from Isaiah chapter 53. Because Jesus, I believe... We'd say he paid the ultimate price, but he did more than that, Just not just by going to the cross, but I think his whole life was this way. I mean, in Colossians it says he gave up. He left the throne. Mm-hmm. There's, he, he started this way before he even got here. And I, and I think we need to see this for what the Scripture really tries to show us. And, and I don't think we should pick it apart, but put it in together. But I like what uh, Isaiah says in chapter 53, and I'm going to re- read verses 3 through 5, and, and I encourage you to read the chapter, because it's an amazing chapter. It's a prophecy about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And this is what it says. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows. And we're talking about Jesus. And familiar with suffering... Like one from whom men hide their faces, and he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows, yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. And I think that is the epitome of suffering that God showed us that he is willing to do for us. And I teach that if we are to be a believer, we are to be like Jesus. We are to become like him. And, you know, we put our lives on the line. We put our hands in his and say, God, take me and use me and do what you want with my life. And the story, you know, with the, if you look in Revelations at the end, you know, you get to the point where it says that Satan was overcome by the blood of the lamb and by the testimony of the saints, the witness of the saints. And our story that we have by walking with him is what helps bring the gospel to life for people. Right, that mm-hmm. if Jesus wouldn't have saved me from my sins, then and if I was still in the in the world and walking in the world, I would not have been ready to take on the trials that came. Um, I would have thought I was because I was I thought I was invincible back then, you know. Um, but at the time that it is looking back and saying, there's no way I would have handled those trials, and Gracie would have suffered, and the kids would have suffered. Um, but God yeah. uses trials to build us up and prepare us. We've talked a lot about trials and we've talked a lot about problems and, and suffering. I want to uh, spend a little bit of time here talking about the blessings because I, I don't want to think that, oh, it's all a trial and that's it because God brings blessing, and I think we need to recognize that he brings blessings. And our blessings, you know, I know a lot of people will, you know, will teach 
you know, blessing is a financial reward or a monetary reward. And I really, you know, want to downplay that. That may be true in some situations, and it may be true uh, to a minor degree. But we have blessings. When you look at your child's face and they smile at you and say, Daddy, I love you, that's a blessing. Mm-hmm. Yep. I think also the, the blessing comes with the peace, right? And the the fact that you're able to introduce your children or others, even friends or others that are going through trials, to the Lord and they find peace, that's a blessing. I mean, mm-hmm. when I oftentimes you hear people say when you're serving others is when you feel the most peace or joy, right? And I think those are the blessings. Being a part of God's work is is not it's not work really. It's not something you look back on and say, "Oh, I really had a hard day." I, mean, I look back and say, "We were I was able to talk to three people about Christ." You know, I was able to be able to share my testimony with others, and and that's a good day, yeah. right? It's what are we working toward if we're working toward the kingdom of heaven and we're putting all of our forward vision into, you know, storing up our treasures in heaven, the blessings come through the kingdom of heaven, not from the kingdom of earth. Yeah. It's interesting because um, there are two situations. One is uh, I speak about Lon Ekdahl a lot because he was was like my surrogate father. He was the pastor who basically took me under his wing. I remember when, when I was with him in his home, uh, he and his wife, every night, individually, went in and prayed with their kids and talked to their kids. Didn't just pray with them, talked to them and so forth. And, um, and, and, and his children are a total blessing because they grew up in the Lord. They grew up to serve him as adults. They're amazing four kids, amazing four children. And I think that, it, you know, that is a blessing. Mm-hmm. When I go to Moldova... And, and I see the poverty there. And I know that I have money that I could spend for this or spend for that that might just sit in my bank account. And when I see a couple that ha- they have no, it's wintertime, and they have no dryer. And they're washing their clothes, and they're putting them in baskets and putting them in a, in a um, uh, lanai without, you know, it's cold. I mean, it's damp. And they're not going to dry. And because they won't dry, they've got to rewash them or they'll become moldy. And they only do is constantly, for months, they're washing their clothes. Constantly, every day, the same clothes are washing over and over again. So I think, well, this is ridiculous. Let's go get a dryer. So I go and get a dryer. The blessing that they are experiencing, and it's only only because I know this is something God's put on my heart. Not because I think, oh, I could do this, but God is, is leaning me. And I think in the areas we go to minister to do the extra, and you know these, these people yes. in Moldova. And, and I see the blessings in this country and in other places because of allowing God to work in our lives. Yep. That's really what happens is, is that, you know, children, uh, relationships, peace, uh, the things that, that help us to take the steps forward and see that God is there and the peace that's within, the joy that happens because of, of the Holy Spirit working within us. Yep. Because we've given the key to him. He says, I'm in with you. I think that that's an important part of the blessings is that recognizing 
all good things that come from God are blessings. Yes. And, you know, everything that we have is his, and we're just stewards of it. You know, so whatever, whatever he gives us in, in spiritual gifts, such as peace or patience, those are blessing. In the moment of a, a heated argument, if you get a, the peace of God, which tells you to just sit still, that's a blessing, right? Because our flesh wants to take over uh, and having the Lord work with us. Well, sometimes our flesh takes over and we lose our temper. Um, that's not a blessing. That's you know, something we all have to work through. But I think at the end of the day, blessings go well beyond things we have. It goes, it goes to the peace of God. It goes to the joy of God. It goes to the love of God. It goes to those, the fruit of the Spirit that God can bless you with. You know, it's interesting, and we've got to wrap up real soon here, but, you know, when I've had an argument with my wife, it's so funny because... She's all there, upset, and so I'll realize at some point, I'll go over, I'll give her this big old hug, and she's like, what are you doing? Oh, I just want you to know I love you. <laughs> and it's, I think after, after so many times, after so many years, she finally realizes, well, that's a blessing that my husband really does love me. Yeah. My husband really does care, even though we're at odds. Yep. And, I, and I really want to um, stress that our life in Jesus is this total relationship. It's absolutely something that we follow, we live in, we breathe, like we breathe air, we, we, we have this relationship with him. And um, I mean, you go to the psalm, the Lord is my shepherd. He leads me. He takes me to the green pastures and I can go, ah. He takes me to the stream when I'm thirsty and I go, ah. Yeah. You know, he gives me peace when I go through the darkness because he's there with me. He sets a table in front of my enemies. I mean, he's doing all that. Yeah. We're just along for the ride. And I think we need to realize that the outcome, well, let me, let me read this real quick. We can close with this. This is in 1 Peter 1, 3, uh, 3 through 9. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who is according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, even though for now, for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials, so that the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor in the revelation of Jesus Christ. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice in the joy inexpressible and full of glory obtaining as the outcome of your faith the salvation of your souls. I mean, that is our hope. As believers in Jesus, you know, our salvation at the very end, we will be with him and be with him for eternity. We need to take our eyes off of our situation, put them on him, and realize that he has a plan for every one of our lives. We need to seek that, look at that, and begin to honor him in those infirmities, in those problems, in those trials, and, and realize that 
that we will be with him in the end. Yep. Amen. Well, you've been watching um, The Believer's Journey, and uh, I want to um, thank you for joining us today, and you have a wonderful week. We'll see you in two weeks, and we'll be talking about grace. Okay? Aloha. Alan Cutting and The Believer's Journey radio program seeks to teach the Word of God in a clear and practical manner. For more information, please visit the podcast page at am630theword.com.